Welcome to Legally Uncensored. I am your host, Demetria Graves, a licensed family law attorney in the state of California. On this show, we will continue to break down the hard family law topics, and I intend to be as uncensored as possible. As I mentioned this season, we are doing things a little differently and giving more gems to be proactive and reactive with dealing with love and oftentimes war. So whether you are divorced, in the midst of a divorce, single, married, or a serial dater, I want to help you with your legal backpack, suitcase, or purse. This season, we touched on money, therapy, and the business of relationships. However, everyone has their own experience and story. We thought we talked directly to the source. We decided to have guests that have gone through a divorce process and asked if they were willing to share their stories that might help someone else through the process, or educate themselves for future relationships. The majority of divorces are filed by women, but we wanted to have a woman and a man's point of view of their challenges, struggles, and do's and don'ts. To kick this two-part point of view series off, our guest today is here to share a woman's perspective, and she is a force. She is an author, broker, and owner of Relatable Realty & Company, a second-year top producer with the Atlanta Realtors Association, a certified home selling advisor, certified home buying advisor, and a real estate expert advisor with National Association of Expert Advisors. But let's have her tell her story. My name is Mika Calloway. I am a licensed real estate broker in Georgia, and I actually own my own real estate firm, Relatable Realty & Co. I am divorced twice, and I actually have a story. I've written a book about it. It's called OMG, What a Mistake, Starting Over After Bad Relationships. I self-published that book in 2013. Most recently, um, experienced my second divorce as of this past Tuesday. And I basically like to always share with people that you got to love yourself first. My first divorce was actually, a, I was married, I want to say about four years, but it was always drama. It was a lot of control and a lot of insecurity with that marriage. I did buy a house with my ex-husband, my first husband, and I also bought property with him as well as bought a car with him. We had our name entangled in things together, and we also had a son together. And so with that divorce, it actually had a lot of things connected to it financially and with a child. And so that divorce was different than my second divorce. My second divorce, there was no children involved and there was not any assets involved. My first husband and I were both in school. We were at Atlanta Metropolitan College. I was actually planning to go to dental school and take the dental admission exam. And he was planning to go to law school. And so we met in a biology class. He was very smart and intelligent. And that's what attracted me to him is he's just, he's still that smart type of guy. And he became my tutor in the biology class. And as he became my tutor, then he became attracted to me. And I will say that I was more attracted to his intelligence and the way he handled things versus the way he physically looked. People, they laughed because they would see us and say that I was like Kamora Lee and he was like Russell Simmons because he was so short and then I was so tall. And he was like, um, he looks like a little boy sometimes because he wears a seven and a half in a shoe and his pants length was like 28. And so if you can only imagine how tall he is. We met in college and life took off, you know? The divorce, it was a process, I'll say that. It was a process over the four years. Um, The first thing was family dynamics were different. 
they were so different. Um, I had a desire to basically have a relationship with my mother-in-law. Well, me and my mother-in-law, we just couldn't see eye to eye. And my husband, he was raised a little, we were just raised different, let's say that. So everything that actually had to do with my house, my mother-in-law complained about it. She didn't like dishwashers. If she came over to my house, she said the dishwasher was too loud. I didn't realize she never had a dishwasher. Um, I invited them to stay in my guest room one day and she said she didn't like king size beds. And I was just like, wow, she didn't like, she just didn't like anything that I did. And my ex-husband's father was very controlling. So he didn't like the way that I was a type A personality. Um, he told me one day, he said, you see my wife? He pointed at my, me one day. He said, you see my wife? You see how she sit over there and she don't say nothing? That, that's what you need to learn how to do. And I looked at my ex-husband and I was like, you're not gonna say nothing to your daddy pointing at my face, talking to me like that? That's disrespectful to me. But he was like, you're a child compared to my father. And at that point, it was just like, I kind of just, I just didn't really like the way that the dynamics worked with the family on my first marriage. And that's when we started to look at things a tad bit different. Mika, thank you so much for sharing your story. I think that will be helpful for someone else going through this process. But I had a couple of questions for you. The first is you talked about, well, before I get there, how did you know, like in your gut, that it was time for a divorce? You know, I, I don't want to go back and forth um, with the first one, but the first one I knew in my gut because my ex-husband was just verbally abusive. You know, he didn't believe in the same biblical things I believed in. Like he didn't believe in going to church. He didn't believe in paying tithes. And he would call me a he would call me a bitch. You know, you act like a bitch, you get called a bitch. It was just not the way I wanted to live my life. And um, that's when I knew at that point. My second husband, um, he basically was a great husband. He just did not want to really work a nine to five job. He wanted to step out on faith and launch his own um, mobile detail business. Shortly after I launched my own relatable realty and co, you know, real estate firm. And it just wasn't advantageous for both of us to be entrepreneurs, in my opinion, with the level of responsibilities we had. And that's when I just made it my decision to just be by myself. With both of your divorces, did the two of you talk about the process or one of you were going to file or one of you just went and did it? Oh my God, my first divorce, he was just so mean. Like he would, he would just do so many mean things to me that I got some advice. I went to file for divorce the first time I was pregnant and the guy would not actually um, go through with the divorce because I was pregnant. The attorney wouldn't. Then the second time um, I went to meet with this attorney and my husband was actually served while I was living in the home. I will never do that again. I was like, uh, it just didn't go well. <laughs> you know, he was mad. He was raging mad that I served him with divorce papers. So we canceled that divorce. And when I finally decided to file for divorce, I had to make a plan because I knew that I didn't want to be in the house. So I moved into an apartment. I had to strategize on how I was going to basically, you know, get him served. And I knew it was going to be a fight. And so how that happened with him, he finally got started. We finally went through the process. And my most recent divorce, we actually amicably went down to file for divorce together and did the paperwork together, which was, I was excited about that because it made me feel like we were going to possibly be able to part ways in decent and order versus my first marriage. It was just drama, drama, drama. That's interesting you say that about the practical aspect of divorce, right? A lot of people don't think about what's going to happen once the other party is served. And so that's an important 
fact to think about what is the practical consequences of filing for divorce and making sure you do have somewhere safe to to live, that you have the financial resources to kind of carry you through the process. That's a, a big piece that a lot of people miss. So thank you for mentioning that. How long did your first divorce take? You know, I felt like that divorce was so drug out. I want to say that it probably was two years. It was wow. it was just really drug out. Um, by the time you get to the holidays, courts behind, getting on their schedule, changing attorneys, and all the drama in between with a child, our child was three years old. So it was just so much constant drama. And I just felt like it was just drug out throughout the courts. It was ridiculous. I'm going to ask you what everybody asked me. The number one question I get is how much did it cost? Oh my God. Financially with just paying the attorneys off the top of my head, I know that that was over $25,000 because the first attorney I had, I had four attorneys basically at different times because it was so much drama. So the first attorney, she was like, I just can't handle this anymore. You know, it's emotionally draining. So she you know, I had to, of course, you had to pay a retainer. So by the time I pay her and then she don't want to do it anymore, nobody gave me any refunds. So another attorney and it was like a team. I'm like, well, now I got a man and a woman, you know, and then that didn't work with them. Then I got my third attorney, which I really think was a great attorney, attorney Stephanie Dixon. She actually was the strongest woman to handle all the nonsense. My ex-husband's attorney was his friend because he's a paralegal and he works in family law. They was just playing games like his attorney would come and he was like sucking on a sucker one day, like a lollipop. (laughs) And he was like flirting with my first attorney because she would show up, you know, sharp as a tag, red bottom heels, clean. And he would just be like sucking his, his, he was sucking on a sucker in court trying to talk to her, like outside of court rather, trying to talk to her. They just didn't take it seriously. The drama of family law, I will say. I do have a question because um, when you were sharing your story, you mentioned that you weren't comfortable with the family dynamics. Was that something that existed prior to the marriage? Was it something you discussed with your husband before you got married? We didn't even realize that. Yeah, we didn't realize that until we were married because his parents lived in Athens and we lived in Atlanta. So we didn't really see them that often. And when we were dating, I wasn't just hanging out with his family all the time. So we didn't see that at all. And honestly, it's because his father, they were like a large age difference. I want to say like over 15 year Mm -hmm. age difference. Mm -hmm. Okay. Did you all go to premarital counseling? We did. We didn't graduate from premarital counseling, though. We did go through, through it at the church, which was interesting because at that time, I did not know that my husband really didn't even like God. He says he likes God, but he was just doing that for me. Like he was going to church for me and all that. But after we got married, then I found out, oh, uh, he would say, he would say, God ain't going to help you do nothing. Wow. Did you feel premarital counseling helped you or did you feel like he just went through the process to get to the marriage? I feel like he just went through the process to get through the marriage. In between my first husband and my second husband, I had a fiance of five years and we went through premarital counseling twice Mm -hmm. and then realized that, you know what, marriage isn't the thing for us Mm -hmm. to do. And um, so when I got my last husband, I realized that I don't care about premarital counseling. So you don't think it's helpful? No, for me, it wasn't. 
because I know I don't know what the percentage is. I would love to know what the percentage is of people that have successful mm-hmm. marriages that have went through premarital counseling and haven't went through premarital mm-hmm. counseling. Mm-hmm. Do you, what do you think couples should do before they get married? Do you think you should have spent more time with his family or what do you think couples should do in preparation? This is another thing too. Biblically, people don't believe him the way I, I, I'm, I'm really different because I felt like, oh, I want to live with my person first. And some people are like, well, you don't want to shack up. So you kind of go in between what you feel like you should do and what you shouldn't do or what the Bible is saying do. And it's like so many things that, you know, I would do different. I would live with my spouse first. You know, if I was to marry again, I think that we do need to talk about the finances. We do need to talk about things with a third party, you know, but not necessarily the church. People think like, oh, we need to go to the the church or to the pastor. And I really don't put a pastor or a church on a pedestal like that. So do you think premarital counseling should be more a class where you talk about finances, where you talk about whatever dynamics are important to you in a relationship? I do. And the reason why I say that is because when I was at Word of Faith, me and my ex-fiance that I was with for five years, we went through the premarital class, which was a group of couples And I liked that it was a group of couples. It also was, I want to say like five weeks. Mm -hmm. Then the final session was like Mm -hmm. with the pastor. And then the first marriage I had, we just did me and my husband and one pastor. So you like a combination of maybe classes regarding finances and relationship, and then maybe a session or so with the pastor. It was a five week session with groups. And then at the end, it was the pastor gave a last session. And that was like, when you figure out Is this the way we want to go? Great. Now, in your first marriage, you shared that you had a son together, right? Yes. How do you think your son was impacted by the process? Because you said it was long. And I know he was three, but how do you think he was impacted by the process? You know, sometimes I still wonder how it's going to play out in his life. Now, my son is very, he's the only child Mm. and he's very quiet And so sometimes I wonder, you know, if it even has affected him now. Like when I try to talk to him, I'd be like, you know, he was three years old. And I remember one day me and my ex-husband were into it. And my son stood in the front door of the screen door with his hands on the window. And I just remember that day. And I don't know why that day always comes to my mind because it made it look like we were separated. He could see arguments, but he was always looking at me out of that window, the separation because my ex-husband has primarily raised our son. I didn't even want to fight him for his son, for our son. He felt like it was his his child all by himself. That's an interesting point because a lot of people still believe that women automatically are granted custody and women automatically take custody of the children. But in your case, that wasn't the reality. So how did you all come to terms that he would have custody of your son? We have joint legal custody, but he's primary parent. And the reason is because we were going through so much hell. And the main thing that was actually at the end of the day we were fighting over was our son. And my ex-husband lived in Athens and his his parents were really his support system. And I didn't have a support system here in Atlanta. So the more that I thought about it and the more that we were fighting, um, I went to church one Sunday and Bishop Bronner was just, you know, he was preaching about this baby in the Bible and how a woman rolled over and smothered the baby. And then they were arguing over one baby. They were going to split it in half. Some people know the story. In short, the mother said, I'll give you my baby before I let you kill him. Kind of took that into my own situation. 
prayed about it. And I said, you know what? I'm going to let him be primary parent. Number one, because it takes a, a man to raise a man. He was a great father. He wasn't a bad father. And number two is because I was a single mom since I was 19. So my whole life I was working, going to college, going to school, being a mom. I was tired of that. And I said, you know what? I'm going to let him raise a son and I'm going to go live my life. And I think it was the best thing I could have ever done. Good for you. And that's a very child-focused approach that a lot of people miss. But I think it's very important to also hear that mothers don't always have custody and that's okay too. So I appreciate that perspective. And I pay child support. You know, I think that surprises people. They're like, well, wow, why do you pay child support? Well, because it doesn't matter if you're the male or the female, whoever is primary parent is due child support. Absolutely. Why are you paying? It doesn't matter. He's he's still raising a child and it takes money to raise a child. And it's just a flip flop situation that people are not usually used to. Right. A lot of people still to this day feel like men should not ask women for child support. So it's always a very, very touchy subject. So I'm very, very happy to hear your side of things. My ex-husband, he going to ask for his money. And now we're cool because we've been divorced now over 10 years. But at the time, it was like, I didn't want to give it to him because he left me with so much financial debt. We had to do a short sale on our marital property. You know, the making the transition was like, dude, I'm not going to pay you child support now and handle getting back on my feet. We actually were able to, you know, work it out. And then we've, we've done a modification since then, of course, because you can actually grant, I think it's every three to four years he's eligible for an increase or something like that. Oh, that's different. We don't do that here in California. You have to actually go and ask for a modification. Oh, yeah. They'll send you a letter here. Really? They'll send you a letter and say you're eligible. Yeah. And then <laughs> when I get the letter... I'd be like, oh, Lord, I know he probably trying to go down there and get some more money. <laughs> right. He'll leave me alone, dude. But he yeah, they send you a letter letting you know that you're eligible. Oh, wow. That's very, very interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. And then I'll call him. I'll be like, so what's your plan? And he'll say, well, you know, he need braces like my son, our son needed braces. And so we work out things that way. And um, he's, you know, we keep the dollar amount the same. Let me ask you, you mentioned an important portion of divorce and you said the financial impact. What was that like for you at the time of divorce? How were you impacted financially at the time of divorce? Yeah, financially, I was just broke. Mm. <laughs> I mean, like at the end of the day, I was broke and I felt like I could never really get back where I wanted to be because I still wanted to maintain my lifestyle and I couldn't. And I went and got a phone book route. I just could not afford my lifestyle or my bills. And that's when I realized I had, I couldn't keep the marital home. Mm -hmm. And I was doing a phone book route. I was, man, I was just trying to do anything I could to make money and survive. Mm -hmm. And so the financial impact of trying to get back on my feet was really hard because like I said, I didn't have much of a support system as a family and he did. When did it turn around for you financially? It turned around for me financially. I ended up getting... Let me see. I divorced in 2011. I want to say my finances really were great in 2013, 2013, 2014. I landed um, a pharmaceutical job with Johnson and Johnson Pharmaceuticals. It was like one of my best careers. Mm -hmm. And um, so I had a company car, you know, gas card, nice base salary, commission check. And that was my last career I had before I started full time real estate. Let me ask you, during the marriage, did you and your your first marriage, did you and your husband consider going to therapy to work on some of the challenges you faced? Oh, my God. We had so many therapists. 
Oh my God, we went to Eagles Landing Christian Counseling Center with Dr. Tommy Snow. We went to Miss Betty Kennebrew at the church. We went through a lot of. Did you feel that was helpful at all or it just was a, a wash? Counseling can only do so much. You cannot really go to counseling and become a new person. Mm. The history of who you are, how you're raised, your mindset and your thought process on how women are treated will not change. Mm. Like controlling spirit, mm-hmm. my my husband had that because his daddy had that. Mm-hmm. So you can go to counseling and know you know better, but are you going to really change? Do you feel there were things you needed to change or kind of what was your goal in therapy? There were things that I needed to change with both relationships, you know, which is how I realize now that marriage isn't for me mm. because I'm a selfish person mm. and I'm and I work hard. And when I'm tunnel vision on work, I don't want to be bothered. Mm-hmm. And you can't really be like that in a marriage. Also, I've dealt with clinical depression. And so with clinical depression to the point where I've been hospitalized before for for depression, like I can't even get private insurance because I've been hospitalized for depression. When I have my depressive episodes, it's not something I can really control Mm -hmm. to the point where I can say, yeah, I want to still be around you. I want to talk to you. No, I'm clinically depressed and I don't want to be bothered. Are you getting the treatment for your depression? Why do you say you're not healthy? I'm No, I'm healthy. It's not healthy for a relationship, in my opinion. The there There's no medication I'm taking right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I do a lot of health, health things. Like I go to Goodness Grocery. I have Miss Sue. She's over the health store. So I'll do some things like Gabamax for stress relief and focus. I haven't been on any medication in over six years. The medication used to make me worse. I didn't like the way it made me feel. How did your depression impact both of your marriages? Well, the first marriage, it impacted it because I didn't tell my, I I wasn't transparent and I was embarrassed. I was still embarrassed to say that I had tried to commit suicide in the past and that I had this issue. So I never shared it with him prior to getting married. I lost my job and I was trying to basically get on his insurance. It comes up as a pre-existing condition. Then my ex-husband found out about it. And when he found out about it, mm-hmm. he used it to his advantage during court as well. Like he would just, you know, mm-hmm. he would call me crazy, you know, and just different things like that. That's how it impacted my first marriage. I didn't tell him. Mm-hmm. And then when he found out, mm-hmm. it was like, wow, why didn't you tell me? My most recent ex-husband, he knew everything. Like he knew that I was at Anchor Hospital. I was at, you know, in he didn't know what the hospital was, but once I started telling him that that was the best experience of my life. Um, and then with my second marriage, certain things came up that, wow, my my depression is clicking in. And when it would click in, he once because he knew he would let me go shut down. He would right. let me at first he thought it was him. But once my doctors talked to him or something like that, he would actually be like, oh, OK, she's she's having a moment. I'm having an episode. Let's talk about your second marriage. How long did you wait between? Your first marriage and your second marriage? 11 years. 11, two years? Yeah, 11 years. Did you feel like you were ready for the second marriage? Yeah, I definitely feel like I was ready for the second marriage. Like, yeah, I was like, before then, I was like a serial dater. I knew I wanted to get married. And I went through a lot of singles courses and all that type of stuff. I went through this um, thing called the Ring Formula Masterclass by Dr. Aldoan Tart. How was the experience different? From your first marriage to your second marriage? My first marriage, my husband was just rude. He would, like I said, he would cuss me out. He was abusive. We had fights. It was verbally and physically abusive relationship. The second marriage, my husband 
would never hit me. He would never curse at me. He would never call me out my name. My first husband's like, you act like a bitch, you get called a bitch. My second husband's like, no, you're the queen. I love you. Like he was, and he was like, he was, he's that guy. He was a sweet guy. Who filed in both of your divorces? Did you file or did your ex-husbands file? First marriage I filed, you know, a few times and it finally went through. And then the second marriage we, <laughs> we filed together, we went down there to the courthouse and we filed together and and my ex-husband, he paid for it with his credit card. We was there right there together. People were shocked. They was like, y'all filing for divorce together? This is unique. <laughs> that is very unique. Do you think you would have gotten divorced the first time if you didn't file? Do you think your husband would have ever filed? No, he's no, he would have never filed for divorce. That's very interesting because in our shows, we we talk about how most divorces are initiated by women. I think Men are more comfortable just kind of going with the flow, but most divorces are initiated by women. So that is very, very important to hear. So I do want to give you an opportunity to share with those who are learning from your experience, what advice would you give a woman that is thinking about it, not sure when to pull the trigger and what to kind of experience through the process? What advice would you give to her? I would give advice to prepare yourself a little nest egg, (laughs) like financially, Mm -hmm. I would say Mm -hmm. like, you know what, just prepare for it. Don't go do anything drastic, prepare for it. So that whatever preparation timeframe that looks like, if it's six months, if it's a year, you always need to prepare, put some money aside, know where you're going to go, know if you're going to be safe, prepare the safety exit strategy is the biggest thing. The financial safety exit strategy is what I would call it. Awesome. Would you get married again? No, 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 <laughs> no. So we won't get a, a invitation to a marriage next year? No, 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 no. That's not even what, no, <laughs> not at all. My last question for you, is there anything you would have done different in either of your marriages? I think my second marriage, I'm more so disappointed that it ended. You know, I think what I would do different is and we were only married 14 months. I wouldn't have thrown the towel so fast, but I'm just not that type of girl to to drag stuff out. So I think if I could do it different, I would be like, let's let's stick in there. Just hang in there. Just try to try. Man, that that's something I would have done different. But I really I can't do that, (laughs) you know. Some people say you should you should have did this, you should have did that. I would have stopped listening to so many people. I would have stopped sharing so much of my business. I would have been more private. This is very interesting to hear because a lot of what you're saying we have discussed in some of our shows. One of our last shows, we had a therapist that said to use wisdom when you are talking to others about your relationship and who you are inviting into your relationship. So that is interesting to hear you say that. I'm I'm disappointed with the people that don't respect the fact that I say marriage is not for me because everybody wants marriage to be for you. And the people that have called me or badgered me about God and it's a covenant and whatever. I think that those people are cool, but that's what works for you don't have to work for me. But nobody is happy that I'm happy. And the people that are happy that I'm happy those are my tribe. And I don't have a whole lot of them. I think that's disappointing. The disappointing part is that you have people that think that marriage is the way to go. You know, you stick in there through thick and thin, you go through the dust and the dirt. And I'm not, I'm not that grimy girl. I'm not that grimy wife. I'm not going through the grind with no husband. I'd rather just be by myself. 
because life you can't predict life you people gonna lose jobs people gonna stuff gonna happen but for me if i'm on my hustle i can i'm gonna I'm eat but if i gotta worry about it, if you gonna eat you gonna feed me you ready to go i don't want all of that i, I just didn't like marriage like that well we at legally uncensored are very happy that you're happy And we are very happy that you were so brave and so vulnerable to share your story. So thank you so much. I know people will be inspired and enlightened by your journey. So thank you so much for coming on the show. How can people find you if they have questions or just want to follow you? Um, Mika Relates. I'm always Mika Relates, your broker that can relate on social media. Mika Calloway on Facebook. Instagram is M-I-C-A Relates. That's it. And you wrote a book. Yes. Tell us about your book again. So um, I wrote the book in 2013. It was basically a journal. I was journaling because of my ex-husband because I started going to a counselor and they said, you need to start journaling so that I don't, you know, respond or react just when I'm feeling mad or something like that. Start writing and journaling. And so I started journaling and the book and the journals became a book. And what's the name of it? OMG, what a mistake starting over after bad relationships. Fantastic. That is the perfect way to conclude our show. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Mika, for joining us. Don't forget to follow us on all social media platforms at Legally Uncensored. And until next time, bye. Legally Uncensored is produced by Crystal Devone of C. Devone's Sight and Sound and edited by Calvin Bailiff.